I'm super happy. Are you happy? Welcome to the BU Find Happy Podcast. Here you'll find tips and tricks to inspire you on your way to happiness, to live a courageous life of authenticity, and learn how to speak your truth with grace. I'm Michaela Johnson, and welcome to our podcast. I've really been feeling like a lot of people have been asking me, but how do I stay happy when things are just not going well? How do I stay happy when I have a crappy boss at work? And so I thought, what better than to have somebody on who is all about humor and using laughter in spite of life setbacks. And so today I present Andrew Tarvin, author of Humor That Works and comedian, telling you all about how to be happy and how to use humor when things just aren't going right. I hope you enjoy. I'd love to have you tell the listeners a little bit about who you are, Andrew. Yeah, absolutely. Happy to, to share a little bit of uh, background. So um, uh, uh, probably the most important thing to know about me is that uh, I am a nerd. Um, <laughs> specifically, I am a uh, engineer. Uh, you know, so I am, uh, have always been very good with computers, uh, not as good with people, you know, I've focused on efficiency and problem solving and I love, you know, puzzles and math and all of the stereotypes about engineers seem to be uh, true about me. Um, but, uh, uh, so I went to, to school, got a degree in computer science and engineering and, uh, spent uh, six years at uh, Procter and Gamble as an IT project manager. Uh, where I realized that you can't be efficient with humans uh, like you can with computers. And uh, <laughs> I had, but uh, started doing uh, improv and stand-up in school and realized that uh, improv and stand-up was what helped me to get better results with people. And so now what I do is um, I've started exploring that intersection of humor in the workplace and improv in business. So I started a company around that for the last seven years. I've been teaching people what I've learned about um, interacting with humans through a humor experience. Wow. So you're actually a stand-up comic then as well? I am. Yeah. So I started doing, I first started first in improv in, in college. My uh, best friend wanted to start an improv comedy group. He needed people and forced me to join. And uh, uh, it was terrifying at first. And then uh, it became a lot of fun. And then stand up was the same thing, terrifying at first, and then became uh, a lot of fun. So it's something that I still do, particularly as a way, you know, speaking is, is one of the primary ways that we, we get the message out there to people. And so uh, stand up is a great way to, to practice for speaking engagements. So ironically, my husband and I were supposed to be um, going to Catalina for our anniversary this past week. And as life would have it, um, we couldn't go. So we, we drove to San Francisco thinking, no problem. We're, we're for sure to find a last minute hotel on a Tuesday in mm -hmm. San Francisco, except that it was like the world's largest international space and earth conference or something oh, <laughs> and wow. there was literally no hotels so we found um we finally stopped at a bar and said we need a we need a beverage and uh the guy that that owned the bar said oh my friend owns this uh hotel up in mill valley let me call and see because we were telling him our woes about not being mm -hmm. able to get a room so he goes well he's got a room it's uh it's the, it's near the breakfast room but you know you guys can go and stay there so we ended up going and you know he said near the breakfast room no joke 
we shared a wall with the waffle maker. <laughs> I mean, it was hysteric. We were, we were like, are you kidding? It's our anniversary. And- <laughs> mm-hmm. Nothing says romance like, like- uh, someone making a waffle next door. <laughs> and so, yeah, it was, I mean, we were, we were dying. Like when we saw the room, we're like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. But it was great. So here we find ourselves in Mill Valley on a Tuesday night. And Mill Valley is like the sleepiest town ever. I don't know where you live, but it's like, you know, it's it's very small. Everything shuts down by eight. But they happen to have improv and stand up comedy night at their old theater there. Did you go to Throckmorton? Yes, we went to the Throckmorton. Exactly. Yes, that's a fantastic. I've done. I've only done one show there, but I had. I did a. I had a fantastic time. They have some incredible comedians that come through. It was awesome i mean we literally our faces hurt we laughed so hard by the time we left there it was great it was like we couldn't have had a better you know what i mean it just it all played out so well and i hadn't been to comedy in a while i have a couple friends in the barrier that do comedy but i hadn't been in a long time so um it was just a reminder that like laughter is the best medicine you know it really is absolutely right yeah you gotta have and that's part of the uh you know, perspective. There's a there's a great uh, Kurt Vonnegut quote that says, um, "Laughter and tears are both responses to frustration." I myself prefer to laugh because there's less cleaning up to do afterwards. Mm. Uh, and it's just a great perspective shift. I and mean, that's one of the benefits of doing stand up is when anytime something I'm going through something challenging uh, or you know delays are bad or whatever. I have in the back of my head, like, okay, how do I find the humor in this? Because at the end of the day, this might turn into a story for stand-up or a story that I share in speaking or a, a tweet that I send out or something. So it's about finding the, you know, the humor in things as opposed to all the things that are are so frustrating. And I love that. And my family, um, you know, we, that's how we got through very difficult times as uh, we, we were raised in a 27 foot fifth wheel without electricity and running water. Mm. All five wow. of us lived together and humor and laughter was just a huge part of our everyday lives. Um, and so I think, I think exactly what you're saying is so true. It can really help you get through things. Um, but sometimes I think people are afraid to laugh because of how it can be received, uh, what do you think about that? What do you think about like, you know, being holding back because you're afraid you're going to do it wrong or be looked at funny or something <laughs> like that? Well, I mean, I think there's there's certainly truth to that. I think, you know, from from a stand up comedian's perspective, uh, corporate, it can be one of the hardest gigs to do because you realize that people may want to laugh at something that you're saying, but there's different power dynamics going in the room. And so they're looking at their boss to see if they laugh, to see if it's okay for them to laugh at that thing that they thought was funny, maybe. And I don't know, especially like when I speak, so there's a lot of humor in the the talks that I give. And, you know, I'll be the opening keynote a lot because people will be like, oh, we want to set the tone, uh, which is great. But people are so not used to laughing at nine o'clock in the morning. Uh, and depending on their coworkers, they're not used to laughing with their coworkers. And so as a, as a, a humorist and as a speaker, one of the things that I'm doing very early on is just hitting them with a bunch of jokes right up top and a lot of good humor because it's like, no, this is, we're going to get you over this fear. We're going to help you be able to, yes, you can laugh in this environment and grow. And I don't know, it, it speaks to kind of how serious the workplace has gotten if we're even afraid to laugh, let alone try to use our own humor. And so it is something that I think we have to, to find ways to, to change and embrace. 
I have an eight-year-old, so we often laugh that early in the morning on the way to school because mm-hmm. he is full of it. He's got so many <laughs> knock-knock jokes, and you know that's that's like the prime age for just the ridiculousness. <laughs> exactly. Well, and and that that fun, and that's you know how we grew up, and that's that's one of the points that I make with, um, you know, people that I'm speaking with, and it's probably true of the the podcast listeners. Is I would say that you know for the people listening, I would say many of you listening are likable people at home right and then so you're laughing even on the way to work because of your your child or something and then you drop them off and for some people that additional commute from you know being a parent or a you know a spouse or just a regular human something changes by the time you walk through those you know corporate doors and sit in that cubicle or that open space environment or whatever it is and they lose all of that. They lose the, the human side of themselves. And so that's part of the message around the value of humor is bringing back the humanity to the workplace. I love that, bringing back humanity to the workplace. And I think, you know, I see a lot of stuff on Instagram, people saying, be kind, um, be funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, let that, let that, let that out a little bit and see what happens. I noticed, um, there was a study that was done and I, and I read it and then we started to kind of observe, but the study said something like that this group of people, they went into all these different restaurants and they sat with grumpy faces and they like Mm -hmm. surveyed and witnessed the response around them. And then they went into these restaurants and then they would laugh and tell jokes and smile and that the whole energy of the room lifted. And it was almost like it was contagious and people just in general around them started being happier. And they, they did this multiple times. And so my husband and I started kind of watching this similar thing. We started doing this ourselves. And it, it is true to a certain extent that when you're being lighthearted and you're being, um, you know, free-spirited, people do tend to like let their guard down or something. Do you see that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think you, you see it from a studies perspective. Like you mentioned, there's a, there's a study that they did a few years ago Um, maybe it's eight or nine years ago, more than that at this point. But um, the question really kind of became, which do you think is more likely to make you happy? Uh, A a pay increase of about $4,500 or like a bonus of $4,500 is done in the UK. So the the US equivalent is like $4,500 or a stranger being happy. And of of course, most people are like, oh no, $4,500, that's that's more likely to make you happy. But they found that an increase of 4,500 was only about 2%, likely it's 2% chance of making you happier. Whereas if a friend of a friend of a friend, so someone loosely in your network, you may not know them at all, but a friend of a friend of a friend was happy, then you were 6% more likely to be happier. If it was a friend of a friend who is happy, then you were 9% more likely. And if it was a direct friend who is happy, it's like something like 15% more likely to be happy. And then it's they crazy that they can quantify it like that. Right. Yeah. And they, I don't remember the exact, you know, numbers of the study. Of sure, course, sure. it's going to be specific in that environment. In that same environment, they looked at uh, negative moods because basically they're seeing that moods have a ripple effect. And so your mood impacts other people. And they found the same was true of negative emotions. If someone was unhappy, it increased your likely likelihood to be unhappy, but not to the same kind of degree. So all that to say is studies do suggest that the mood of other people impact you. But we can also see that from a like people like you don't need the studies to know that if someone that if you go into work every single day and someone's like smiling or you're having a bad day and someone smiles at you on the bus or 
like whatever, it just kind of, you know, changes your mood, mood a little bit. Same thing of if you go in and every single day someone is like constantly bringing you down or constantly kind of impacting you, it, it changes how your mood is affected to the point that like so, with managers, it's true. So how can happy people deal with downers? Cause I'm one of those people that tends to be like overtly bubbly, mm-hmm. um, which I think sometimes can annoy people. I think it has a reverse yeah. effect, but how can happy people deal with downer people who are just constantly, you know, woe is me or these things are happening. I mean, and even for me, um, I feel like a lot of the people in my life don't laugh as much as I, mm-hmm. as I'd like, and I hope they would. And mm-hmm. then in my therapy practice, obviously laughs are like few and far between. Um, mm-hmm. although I do try to engage like that when it's appropriate. Um, but generally people that are coming to see me are pretty bummed out, you know what I mean? Right. They're not here to tell jokes and laugh. So how do you, how do, how do happy people deal with downers? How, how can they, yeah, no, it's it's a great question. I think there's there's kind of two, you know, things to keep in mind with it. One is just from a personal viewpoint, if you're like, hey, I don't want to change that other person. Not that you can change them, but I, it's not about changing the relationship with that person. Part of it is, you know, there's certain people that are that want to be they they almost are happy being miserable. It seems like in some senses, like totally. they 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 take you know joy or pride or or whatever. Um, from that there's, so there's some people that you aren't going to, to change or they're not going to be happy. And some people just want to say work feels like work for that. Those situations where you can't control it, it's more about having a perspective around it where it's like, okay, well let me, you know what, I'm going to find humor in how miserable they, they make things right. Where it's like, I can just laugh at anytime there's something good, they can find the negative in it. And let me just say, okay, let, let's see how that's going to happen today. Um, let me almost turn <laughs> into this, this game of what's going to happen. Or, um, you know, I, I know good friends who are like, who have bosses like that. And it's like, listen, your boss is three years away from retirement. You are not going to convince them to change your demeanor. And they're still going to kind of, they're under an old school mentality of like constantly yelling and belittling people and all that. It's like, you like your job, but so if you want to stay in it, change it into a perspective, like turn it into a game to see how often, how can they turn it into a negative or, um, you know, just write it down as notes to say like, okay, these are things that I don't want to do when I'm a manager of other people, um, right. learn from that perspective. But I think in addition to that, building more, a stronger relationship with those people, building rapport, like humor is a great way to, to build rapport with people. And, and to your point, yeah, in a, in a therapy session, your job is not to, to share a bunch of punchlines and jokes and they say something that's really bothering them and you kind of make a joke about it and all that, but in the small talk leading up to before you jump into things, you know, adding a sense of humor and, and saying things that are more fun or when leaving, you know, on a, on a certain type of note, you can have a little bit more humor in those experiences around the more difficult times, which then just builds a stronger relationship where you do have that, that sense of humor and that laughter together. Absolutely. I mean, I think that, I think that that is really important. And I know, um, I think I think one of the things we've lost as humans is like text messaging has removed so much of that cue, those social mm-hmm. cues, the nonverbal cues that come up for opportunities to be lighthearted or to be funny or to be, you know, just when there's an appropriate time to joke. Like my brother and I, man, we'll get going, we'll get laughing so hard um, about different stuff, but that would never happen in a text message thread. You know what I mean? Like it just would be lost. Like the humor isn't there. Now you can kind of with gifts and stuff. But mm-hmm. it's still not the same. How do you see email and text message and dido- digital communication affecting 
humor in the workplace and just in general in life? Yeah, I mean, to your point, the, you know, the, the medium of how you're expressing that humor has a big impact on how it's received. And, uh, you know, because you can say something kind of sarcastic, but with a little bit of a smirk to something in person, and they're like, okay, that's a joke, I get it. You send that same thing via text message, and the other person's like, why does this person hate me? Uh, right. right. So the, the nonverbals, like any communication is, is valuable. You know, the, the paralanguage, the body language is, is important. But to your point, it, because of things like uh, gifts and because of emoticons, like I like to joke that because of emoticons now, like my phone is more capable of expressing emotion than I am, uh, you know, as an engineer. Um, but we can use those fun things. Like I know people who have gotten me cracking up because of, they sent, they just always have the perfect gift to send. When you say a certain comment, they then send something from, you know, the office or from a movie or from whatever. And it just like cracks you up. So I think using those types of leveraging the, the medium for what it's great at, you know, for example, email. Yeah. It can be difficult to have good written humor. It's possible, but it's maybe a little bit harder. Sarcasm doesn't work, but email can be a great line for quotations from people. Um, for one-liners, for, you know, PS at the bottom, you know, a knock-knock joke, or even a link to something funny, right? Like, hey, I saw this, you know, funny YouTube clip earlier, and it reminded me of our conversation that we had about blank, or it's actually a great representation of the challenge that we're having with the, you know, the so-and-so client. So you can kind of leverage the medium for its strengths, as opposed to trying to shoehorn the same exact style into every single uh, message. Hello, are you there? May have dropped. Yes, I can. Oh, I just rebooted the whole app. <laughs> that was yeah. Timing talking about technology. <laughs> exactly. Right. Using the right uh, technology and having to have a sense of humor about technology because of uh, it's great in so many regards and so frustrating in so many others. <laughs> oh, it's so true. Um, yes. Yeah, so what I so what I was saying is that I tend to use. I mean, I feel like liner like one liners for movies and stuff dropped at appropriate times. Um, are usually good for a laugh. I feel like they're like universal language, you know? Exactly. And I think it's an important kind of, you know, point in the sense that to use humor effectively in the workplace, you don't have to be the one creating the humor. Uh, you know, it doesn't have to be your perfect punchline that you've written, but instead you can be the curator of it, right? You can be the, the oh, this is a perfect quote, you know, from this movie, or here's a great gif, uh, you know, from this TV show, or here's this video that I can send out that, that, you know, makes a point that I'm trying to make. So for sure, you know, it's a, it's a great strategy, especially to, to ease your way into it. Cause a lot of times people, you know, have this fear that they haven't really used a lot of humor in the past or created it themselves. It can be a great kind of starting point or first kind of foray into to humor at work. But what about people who are afraid 
of harassment or afraid of harassing. Like, I feel like, especially in California these days, you know, you'll look at somebody wrong and you could be sued for it. So how do you encourage people to work around that idea that, you know, maybe not everything is going to be appropriate or, or something like that? Yeah, I think, you know, part of it is understanding the, you know, the difference in goal, because certainly if you're a stand-up comedian, you're going on the stand-up stages, the, you know, what you are able to say in that context is very different than what you're able to say in the workplace. Um, But also the goal is different. As a stand-up comedian, your goal is to try to be seen as as very, very funny, and it's intentionally to, to make the audience laugh. The goal in using humor at work isn't to be seen as a funny person. It's not so that people are like, ah, that person's always got that perfect punchline and all that. No, the goal is to be more effective. And so to use humor in effective ways. And, and so you might say, well, you know, I saw uh, Anthony Jeselnik or I saw an old clip of George Carlin and they were very aggressive and they were kind of mean and they talked about these things. It's like, well, that's great. They're, they're stand-up comedians. That's the goal. Here, you know, you want your your humor in the workplace to be more positive, more inclusive. And so it might not get the biggest laugh, but it's going to maybe make someone smile. So understanding that, you know, humor is a little bit more broad than comedy. It's not just laughter, but also amusement and kind of that that positive angle certainly helps. Uh, And I think the other thing is to uh, recognize that your relationship with the person you're sharing humor with has a big impact to how it's received. And so if you have known someone for a long time and have developed a strong relationship and kind of over time you've gotten back and forth in this kind of playful banter, that's great. But someone that you're meeting for the first time, you know, to to make kind of a joke about them might feel very, very aggressive. And so just recognizing what is your relationship with that person, what style of humor works well with them can help you kind of make sure that you're, you're picking the right type of humor to use, if that makes sense. I like that. And how about people who, and I see this a lot in my therapy practice, and so I'm not using this term to judge, but just rather to identify it. What about people who laugh at inappropriate times? Like at the, at the, you know, at hearing devastating news or sad news, that sort of thing. I mean, I think it's a, and you can probably from a, from a, your background, give more of a, a kind of a focus and, to this of why it happens. But to me, it's, it's more of kind of a, a defense mechanism or it's a way of accessing um, that uh, or first kind of interacting with that emotion that they feel. Um, and but that laughter is communicating something to the people around them. So just recognizing that uh, it's a form of communication. And is it, is it the type of communication that is going to get you what you like want or need in that that particular situation? Because again, for me, going back and using humor, whether it is intentionally making someone laugh or laughing at something, it's about what's the, the ultimate end goal? How am I using this to build a better relationship with someone or to reduce you know, the, the stress or the tension in the room or to uh, maybe help to influence someone to, to do something? If it's connected to that strong purpose, then it can be very helpful. If it's going to make things harder if it's going to impact your relationship negatively or that kind of thing, then it may be something to try to avoid. Yeah. Uh, and so it just kind of going on that same thought there. What about when somebody, you know, makes a joke and you can probably talk a lot more to this being on stage in a much bigger 
way. But what about when somebody does make a joke or does say something lighthearted or what they think is funny and the people around them don't laugh or just completely move past it without kind of any acknowledgement at all? Yeah, well, it is. It can be a, uh, you know, uh, bombing on stage, what they call. So when you're doing stand up comedy and not doing well and no one's laughing, it's called bombing. Uh, And uh, it can be tough. It can make a five minute set. If people are laughing a lot, it's the quickest five minutes you'll ever experience. If no one is laughing at all, it's some of the longest five minutes that you'll ever experience. So it can be a challenge. And this is where the focus, not necessarily on laughter being a focus, but more of how do I create things and make it a little bit more playful and um, amuse people can be helpful because your goal isn't necessarily laughter. I think the other thing that helps is if you keep your humor positive, inclusive, and you say a positive, inclusive, what you think is a positive, inclusive joke, but no one laughs, then it just becomes a positive, inclusive statement. And a lot of times the awkwardness only comes if you dwell on it. Like in a stand-up comedy show, it's a little bit different because people know that you're trying to make them laugh. In a normal conversation or in a presentation, you sharing something that people don't laugh at, as long as you're like, you know, like, uh, that was supposed to be funny, everyone. Why aren't you laughing? What's going on? Like, you know, as long as you're not dwelling on it like that, the awkwardness doesn't really last and you just kind of move on from it. And it's not something that becomes that big of, a, of an issue. My, I get pissed when my husband doesn't laugh at my jokes. <laughs> well, and then that's another thing I'm that you honest, can do. I'm like, that was freaking funny. And I'm laughing at myself if you're not laughing. Exactly. And that's another thing that you can do to, to manage the situation. So comedians have what they call kind of uh, a saving line. Uh, and so if you say something that you don't think is going to work, you can kind of have some type of, well, you know, I thought that was funny. Or, you know, my dog thought that was funny this morning. Or... Uh, one of my favorite comedians, Eddie Izzard, um, he will take out a, an imaginary notebook and, you know, pantomime writing down like, OK, never tell that joke. <laughs> That's good. We had an old guy and he was just hysterical the whole time. But um, at the at the Throckmorton, but mm-hmm. one of one of his jokes didn't go over quite as well. And he goes, That's all right. You guys are too young. I'll get them in the next geriatric town or something like that. Right. And it, you know, and it was great. I was like, that's a good way to kind of just move past that. Yeah. And that speaks to, you know, confidence being a big part of how, how humor is sold. So one of the things that uh, early that you learn in improvisation is to not present in an improv scene uh, with what they call apology face, where apology face is where you're saying something and you don't even believe it yourself. You're kind of like, here's an idea. I hope you like it maybe. And presenting any type of humor with that kind of demeanor isn't going to help the humor land because people like it's the same in any form of communication. If you're not confident in yourself when presenting it, why is the other person going to be confident in what you're saying? I see a lot. People will say something to me with a nervous laugh after in therapy practice. They'll, they'll, um, you know, say something that they think is maybe going to be judged or was inappropriate to say, and then they'll kind of nervously laugh. Do you see that in the workplace? And, and how do you work through that? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a normal kind of function of, of being a human is, is a lot of times it comes with an expression of vulnerability. And you will often see that in the sense of if people don't feel like they have a super strong relationship with someone, right? We know from Brene Brown, the power of vulnerability. We know from studies done at uh, Google and other places, the importance of psychological safety in the workplace. 
And when you don't have those things, then when you do try to express something, there might be nervous laughter afterwards because you're almost testing the other person where if they start laughing, then you can be like, yeah, I was kind of joking about that thing too. Um, and so I think part of it is if you're hearing people nervous laugh, what is your follow-up response to them to feel, help them feel more comfortable? And as a person that feels compelled to have that nervous laugh, what is it about the situation that you can, you can work on improving? I'm a big believer in, uh, in reflecting and thinking about it. I, I think that reflection on the past leads to action in the future. And so as you, you know, even from a humor perspective, you go into a meeting and you share humor that you think is going to go great and it doesn't, reflecting back on, okay, why didn't that work? Was it the delivery? Was it the content itself? Was it who the audience was? Being more contemplative about it, thinking about it more helps to set you up for better success when you're in a similar situation in the future. Do you feel like as a society, we've become more lighthearted and more funny, or do you think it's the other way around? I think both, right? I think, uh, I think more and more the, you know, the, when we do, some of our programs are use a lot of applied improvisation exercises because it's a great way to get people interacting. It's a great way to practice these very human, very business necessary skills, right? It's, it's a lot more effective to practice the skill of communication than it is for me to just tell you what communication is. Um, but we, I bring that up because in a lot of our programs, we'll ask the question of, you know, how many of you have taken an improv class? And more and more, the hands are going up more and more frequently. So I think more people are aware of the improv and humor and storytelling and all that as, as skills that are valuable to be learned. And so people are thinking about that through social media and everything. We're able to express humor a little bit more uh, for ourselves. But at the same time, things feel very serious. So I think it's a little bit of, of both, if that can be possible. Yeah, I mean, I was when I was writing the question, I was reflecting on, you know, the pictures in the olden days with the black and white photos where they didn't even smile, you mm -hmm. know, and, and I was thinking about when America's Funniest Home Videos came out and watching cats on YouTube and memes on on Instagram that are funny. But then I was also thinking about how at the same time, it's like, people are so cautious to be apropos and politically correct that they are almost afraid to make a jab or make a comment or, you know, create a funny. Um, so I was thinking of the same interesting juxtaposition of just like, we've got to be funnier. We've mm -hmm. got to be more acknowledging of it, but maybe not, you know? Yeah. Well, and it's, I mean, it's true. Like, I think part of it is recognizing that humor has been part of uh, uh, the human adaptation as, as part of helping to develop resiliency and as a way to, um, you know, actually as a way for people when, when seeking out a mate, you know, way back when of like, who are they looking to mate with? Humor is one of those things that separated people. Like, and there's, there's a book that's all about kind of the, the human evolution around humor and that they think that humor is, is, has been particularly helpful in, how the brain has developed and how we, you know, why it's one of sense of humor is, is ranked on for both, you know, for all groups that sense of humor is something that they're seeking in a significant other or in a mate. And so I think that there's elements to it that we as humans, it's, it's always been an adaptation that we have used. Um, but to your point, how we use it and the ability or the skill at which we are able to use it constantly evolves because humor is an art form that's always evolving. Stand up, from, you know, 60 years ago is very different than stand up to, from today. And even 10 years ago, there's been a shift. Just what you said about relationships, just really, I mean, I was thinking back on, 
just my friendships and even, you know, ex relationships and stuff like that. And how if they couldn't laugh or if they didn't have the same type of humor that I did, they didn't last very long in a relationship or as a friend. Um, I feel like, I feel like that there, there must be some human component to like, I, my, I'm British as like a quarter percent. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's a very different type of humor, you know, Uh, it's known as being a very different type of Mm -hmm. humor, but I wonder if that isn't a connective piece to people. I mean, there's gotta be something with that. There is. I mean, there's a, there's a guy, a friend of mine who also does, uh, he's studied some of the psychology of humor and things like that. He says that when you say someone has a good sense of humor, what you mean is that they have a similar sense of humor to you. Uh, <laughs> right? uh, typically tends to be the, the case. But yeah, there is something about that, that thing where it's like if you hang out with someone and they constantly make you laugh, you're going to want to continue to hang out with that person. Whereas the opposite is true. And this is why, you know, with, with groups that I'm working with, I make a very, ask them a very dumb question, but it's a relevant question. The dumb question is, would you rather do something that is fun or not fun? And the, the obvious answer is that you'd want to do something fun. So it stands to reason that if you were to make your, say, emails a little bit more fun, people would probably be a little bit more willing to want to read them. If you were to make your meetings a little bit more fun, then people would probably want to come to them. If you were to make your, you know, your dating a little bit more fun, you might have a little bit of better success on those those dates and so obviously what people's definition of fun is is different and so that comes back to the like learning your audience and understanding and kind of adapting to them if that's your goal um but that that component of we should make these things more humorous uh or more fun is valuable this is why we're starting to do more and more work with serious organizations so we've done some consulting with the red cross and um, some programs at the UN and all that. And people are recognizing that just because a topic is serious or important doesn't mean that humor doesn't have a place. Humor, we know, is an incredibly effective way to communicate with people. And so if you're important, if your message is important, you would use all of the means that you have to effectively communicate of which humor is one. So literally my next question on this list is, people who are going through great tragedy. Mm-hmm. I, I, I feel like lately I've, I've seen it more with a, maybe cause where I live with the wildfires, um, you know, car accidents, things like that. The people that have lived through great tragedy, how can they incorporate humor as a tool? Because when I see them, I feel like that, that idea is so far from their wheelhouse you know, the, the idea that they could laugh again is so mm-hmm. far away. How, how can they incorporate humor and laughter? Well, I think part of it is, is recognizing that, you know, there is some truth to the age old adage that comedy equals tragedy plus time, um, mm. which doesn't help in the moment, but recognizing that, yes, there is going to be a period in my time where I can look back and, and not to say that this was, you know, I'm not necessarily a believer that everything happens for a reason, um, but, uh, or everything happens for the best. But I do believe that some good can come from pretty much any situation. Um, that some, you, can, you can use it to then build to something. From a, a humor perspective, uh, you know, it's a, there's a joke within the speaking world that speakers are the only person where you'll go up to them and say, I had this, this tragedy happen to me and they'll be like, I'm, that's, I'm terrible. I'm, I'm sorry that that, or I'm sorry that that feels, um, so awful. I, I, uh, 
you know, I commiserate with you and everything, but also I'm slightly jealous because now you have your keynote that you're going to share a little bit later. It's going to be about this tragedy that you, you have overcome. Um, so part of it is having that recognition like, okay, in the future, I can talk about this. Um, I can explore the humor and, and what I was going through and, and just the value of writing humor is also, if you step, take a step back is also just journaling. I have found that when I write, like my way of processing emotions is writing. So I, my, um, the anniversary, the six year anniversary of my dad passing away just came up, uh, was just a few, was about a week ago. And so I wrote this post just chronicling my experience with loss and grief and using humor throughout it and then sharing it. But the fact that I was writing it down, the fact that I was like, let me try to find some humor in this help me to better understand those emotions and process them. And then also sharing it out. People have said, you know, thank you, this resonates and all of that. So it's a way of kind of, you know, connecting with other people. I think the other thing, you know, the other component about not just creating humor, but recognizing one of the greatest strategies that you might develop is just saying, okay, what, what am I going to do? How am I going to intake humor when I'm going through something challenging? Right. So if I know that every week, you know, a lot of my work is in the, the business context. So if I know every single week my meeting with my manager causes me stress, how can I intentionally schedule time right after that meeting to hop on Reddit for a little bit or to watch, you know, cat videos online or to call up a friend who always makes you laugh? How can I be strategic about bringing more humor into my life to provide that catharsis so that when I do laugh, I am physiologically changing what's going on in my body to help me manage that stress. I love that. I, I really like that idea. It's actually, sadly, not something that I'd considered prescribing as part of my treatment tools for people that I see, but I think I will incorporate that moving forward. Like how, when you know you're going through, you know, a difficult part of the day, that's notoriously difficult how can you schedule something that's humorous or lighthearted to do for yourself or someone to talk to afterwards? I really like that idea. Um, I'm definitely going to start incorporating that. Yeah. And I think it's an important, I think it's for people to, to recognize that again, humor and being serious or humor and important are not opposites. It's not to say that you're discounting your feelings if that's the case or anything like that. It's just, it's simply, we know physiologically things like stress, decreases blood flow through your body. It causes muscle tension, all of that. We also know that stress by itself is not a bad thing. Stress is how we grow. It's how we improve over time. It's chronic stress. It's when we don't find strategic ways to relieve that stress that it becomes an issue. Humor is one of those strategic things, just like exercise that we can use to manage that situation. So we're just going right down my list here. My, <laughs> my next question was, if you could talk a little bit about uh, cortisol, oxytocin, happy endorphins, and and their relationships. Yeah, so I know let you will know more on the, exactly how they're kind of relating in the body and all that. But from my kind of higher level research around this, in the sense that we know, so cortisone is the hormone related to stress. When we feel stress, uh, that increases. The stress may come from life, you know, threatening situations or what we as humans over time have not yet learned aren't life-threatening. So for example, things like speaking in front of people can cause a lot of stress because back in the day, a lot of people looking at you could be a bad thing, right? They might all be aggressive towards you. Whereas today, it's you standing up in front of your peers. We haven't still processed that, hey, this is actually a safe environment. So that stress, that hormone is then 
released. From a humor perspective, we know we have shown there's studies that show when we laugh, we release endorphins. We release kind of the, the more feel-good type of things that can help to manage that. We know that, again, physiologically, we're incre- increasing the amount of oxygen in our blood. We know that we're relaxing our muscles. So we know that physiologically, we're kind of counteracting some of those things. Again, I, I can't speak to like the exact dynamics, but that's what we've kind of seen from the research. The interesting thing to the point with laughter is that the body can't distinguish laughter that we laugh because we're genuinely laughing at something. We find something very amusing or we are forcing ourselves to laugh. And so this has spawned an entire kind of group called laughter yoga, where people will lead through laughter exercise where you laugh just because you're being told to laugh. And it starts out as forced laughter. And then over time, it becomes uh, kind of genuine laughter because it's just, you know, kind of contagious. I, I will admit it's not for everyone. Like I'm not someone who does a lot of laughter yoga because I'm just more like, I'd rather watch a comedy video. But for some people, it can be a great way to kind of get into feeling these, these emotions or releasing these, these uh, endorphins. I recently had to do headshots because I have a, another book coming out next year. <laughs> and I, I mean, my whole, th- my whole shtick is be you find happy, right? So I wanted like a happy feeling headshot. And she goes, okay, well, you're just going to have to start laughing, just start laughing, you know? And so originally, I, it's like, totally fake. Like I am just, but then eventually, within a very short amount of time, I am truly honestly laughing because I was laughing for no reason. And we got the greatest pictures, like a legitimate laughter. So exactly. That- it's because you're, you're laughing at how ridiculous the, the whole thing is. I, uh, my girlfriend makes fun of me because whenever I take a selfie, I laugh to myself because I don't know how to like, I'm not one of those people that can smile on command and have the smiles <laughs> where it's like my eyes are actually smiling or whatever. So fake. I just learned about smiles and apparently yeah. Tyra Banks is like the leader of this. I never heard of smiles before. Yeah, so you smile and so I can't do that on command. I haven't learned that skill. And so what I do is I I force myself to laugh and it would still kind of be um, a little bit fake. But now I laugh to myself out of instinct. And then if we're taking a selfie or a picture together, we both start laughing because it's a thing I do every single time. And so now the the short fake laughter of me laughing to myself causes genuine laughter because it's that experience that we're sharing together. That's so funny. And it's so true. I mean, it's, it's absolutely so true. My husband loves to make a grumpy face when we do selfies. Mm-hmm. So that in co- in turn causes me to laugh because he looks so ridiculous. And then I look so goofy looking so happy and he looks so pissed off. It's, it, yeah. It's, but it's mm-hmm. authentic. It's like <laughs> as authentic as it gets. I think, um, I think that's an interesting dynamic about, um, you know, just how our, our awareness with photography has changed so much with the, you know, use of cell phones and selfies and things like that. I used to, this was like, I don't know, 12 years ago, I posted a picture on Facebook that I'd taken with my camera and I called it a self portrait. I I should have invented the damn term. (laughs) Uh I didn't, you know, but same thing. I kind of held it up there. And that was like the first time that I started really doing those with handheld camera. But now I feel like we are so programmed when we see that thing that actually when I take pictures of people like family or wherever we are, I go, okay, we're going to do a one, two, three cheese, but then we're going to do something totally different. Like everybody's going to look like they're puking or something, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, it used to, I mean, from a technology change, it used to be, you know, you took that picture and you had no idea what it looked like until you, you know, found the time to go and, 
you know, drop it off at the store. And then you had to wait, you know, a day or multiple hours for them to process the uh, pictures and all that kind of stuff. And at that point, you almost even kind of forgot what happened. And you only took like one picture, maybe two, because you're, you know, cost you every single time you're doing that. Uh, versus now it's like, if people, if I ask someone to take a picture of me and they don't take like 10 photos, I'm kind of like, what's the deal? Like you got to take 10 so that I can go through and find the one where I'm making the right expression. <laughs> when they hand you back your phone and they took one and then it's blurry. That old Yeah. Happens. And you're like, what, what do you think? I'm not a, I'm not a professional model. I can't do this in only one picture. <laughs> don't be cheap. Mm-hmm. With your fa- True. So Gosh, I was thinking of then as you were talking about that, and then I just totally spaced it. <laughs> oh, I remember. I remember. Um, so I use a pet-assisted therapy dog in my practice. Um, mm-hmm. And what's really interesting is to see how pets just liven the mood and how they naturally do funny things. Like they don't have a filter, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? So they'll naturally do something totally inappropriate or something like that that causes people to laugh. What do you think about pets in the workplace as a way to inspire humor? I mean, I think the the research is out there to, to say that they can be um, very, very helpful. I think that what, I think what pets provide in multiple ways is, um, it's the same thing in, in somewhat uh, what babies provide, but I wouldn't necessarily say babies in the workplace as an, like there shouldn't probably be therapy babies, I don't think. But what it does is it gets people out of their, I have to be a robot worker, right? right. Because when it's a sterile environment, when it's that, you're like, I'm only here. And, it's, and part of it's the language that we use, like we label people as resources. And oh, right. so we only think of our coworkers not as a human, but as a resource. They are someone who is help, able to help me get something done or not get it done. And that's how I think about them. But I think humans or pets in the workplace change that dynamic. We then like, because you, like you said, they don't care, right? They're going to wag their tail or they're going to, you know, if it's a cat, it's going to walk across your desk. It, it, it breaks that, you know, um, it kind of serves as this pattern interrupt to say, hey, this isn't, you know, work doesn't have to be like this. So I think it can be valuable. And I think that, honestly, people are looking for an excuse to find more joy in the work that they do. And a, and, and a pet and actually petting a pet is a great excuse for that. It's the reason why, you know, like I said, we use applied improv exercise. And there's a balance because we know that there is nothing less fun than mandatory fun. Right. right? <laughs> so that, that is bad. Um, so how do you do it genuinely? But I also recognize that, like, I use interactive exercise in my programs and sometimes people be like, I would have just rather sat there and listened to you. And it's like, well, I'm intentionally doing that because now you talk to the person next to you and particularly like say for my fellow introverts out there, we kind of don't want to have to do an interactive exercise, but at the same time, we're kind of happy that we did because then we didn't have to break the ice ourselves. It's like, Hey, I'm, I'm going to talk to you next to me because I have to, because he told me to, Oh, we actually kind of laughed because this exercise was kind of fun. Oh, well, now I can continue the, con- oh, okay, what are you doing, you know, after the conference or where are you headed next? Or what breakout are you going to? Or, you know, what department do you work in? I, you know, this is, I'm from IT. Oh, you're from sales or what? Like it helps to, it gives people an excuse in a frame to have a little bit more fun, which I'm all for. I love that. I love, I mean, my son, like uh, if a good song comes on the radio or something, he's just not afraid to bust out into fun at any time. Yeah. You know, I mean, for him, he doesn't have that filter a lot like animals. I mean, he does, mm-hmm. but you know mm-hmm. what I say. 
Right. Well, this has been this has been an awesome conversation, and 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 I love every everything that you said. Um, so many great quotes that I jotted down too. How can people get in contact with you? Sure. Well, if they uh, if they want to learn more about the humor in the workplace, find some strategies of how they can endure it, what we mean by it, all that. If they can go to humorthatworks.com. and so we have you know a free newsletter, a free blog post, a fifteen dollar book, uh, you know a. a uh, uh, inexpensive online course. We have information about our workshops, all that kind of stuff. That's the humor that works.com is meant to be a resource for if you want to learn how to use humor effectively in the workplace, go there and you got plenty of different options to do it. Uh, if people want to reach out directly to me, always happy to answer uh, questions or share more. They can follow me on social media at Drew Tarvin, D-R-E-W-T-A-R-V as in Victor, I-N on all social medias. Is It's the same handle across Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube. Uh, I recently discovered I sell a MySpace page. Oh my god! Uh, so if you love MySpace and that's how you want to connect, uh, I am there. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on today, and I look forward to connecting further. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Take care. Bye bye. This has been a BU Find Happy podcast. For more inspiration, check out the links.